0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Michael Beckwith. Michael is a humanitarian, peace activist, and founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center in Los Angeles. He is the author of Spiritual Liberation, Fulfilling Your Soul's Potential, as well as the Sounds True audio learning program, Life Visioning, a step-by-step process for realizing your highest potential. Here's Michael Beckwith, sharing the story of his own spiritual awakening and the discovery of what he calls eternal truth. I'm curious, of all the life paths, why you chose to be a reverend, or were you chosen? How did that work?
1: Um, I fought against being a reverend. As a matter of fact, in my younger days... Uh, I was more agnostic, even considered myself atheistic, and I didn't really have a high regard for reverence. I I thought um, they were good people, but some of them were selling things that I didn't quite believe in. So I am shocked, in a sense, that I ended up on this path. Um, You know, I had a a tremendous spiritual awakening, which allowed me to pursue um, Eastern and Western mysticism and became a spiritual counselor and then the next stage was to go through the school and become a minister and even when I did that I wasn't planning on being a public figure I I liked my way of life of doing the counseling and doing the teaching and being on the faculty at the the university I never wanted to be a minister I was kind of pulled into it there was an inner um, something that wanted to erupt and express that way and I fought it for a number of years, actually, to the point where I even had a crook in my neck. Mm-hmm. And the moment I surrendered and said, OK, I'm going to walk in this direction, my neck snapped back into place. Mm-hmm. And so my, my resistance manifested physically as a neck problem. So I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. And you know what? I don't really think about myself as a minister or a reverend. I really just think about myself as an individual that just loves the presence, whatever name we choose to call it. Mm-hmm whether we call it the presence, the God, love energy, whatever. I just, I just love the presence and um, seek to be uh, a vehicle of, of teaching around it.
0: Well, well, let's go back for a moment. You said you had a tremendous spiritual awakening. So what happened? What happened to you?
1: This was um, early 20s. Uh, I was attending USC. And I had a, a series of experiences that I couldn't, I didn't know what they really were. And at that time, it would have been labeled uh, pathological.
0: Like what? I want to know what pathological experiences you
1: had. <clears throat> um, you know, I was in a psychobiology department. I was going to be a doctor. And we had to go to um, these homes to work with kids who were, you know, had some mental problems. And when I would talk to them, they were telling me about hearing the voices and having visions, and I was too. So here I am talking to them about something that I'm having but I couldn't tell anybody that I was having these experiences because they were pathological. They weren't seen as normal. So that was going on.
0: So let's just, let's, let's just unpack this slowly. What, kind, what kinds of things were you hearing? What kinds of visions were you having?
1: Uh, at the time, I was leaving my body a lot. I, was, I would think about people, and I would suddenly be projected into their living room looking at them. Um, I, was, I, was, I was like hearing this cadence of voices... Um, that were like giving me knowledge and information, you know, and I would try to shut it out. Uh, I thought I was going crazy. Um, And this went on for a period of time. And it culminated with, uh, during this time, I was also having a dream. And I had the same dream every night. In this dream, three men were chasing me. But I always woke up before they would catch me. But every night they were a little closer. So at one point, they were very close. And I was going to wake up like I normally do. It's a very lucid dream. And I turned around and there was a tent behind me, a very small tent. It was a long line of people. I couldn't even see the end of the line. But I knew everyone in this line of people. So I thought to myself, these men can't hurt me. I have all of my friends here. So I started shouting for help and they turned their back on me. Two of the men grabbed me held me down, and another man plunged a knife in my heart. And it was painful, it was painful physically, in my physical body, excruciating pain, and I screamed out, and I died. And when I woke up, I could see that we were surrounded by this presence that I called love-beauty. Because at the time, I was pretty much agnostic, so the word God wasn't really in my, my nomenclature. The love was so intense and the beauty was beyond description. That was my name for this, love beauty. And it was a dramatic shift in my life after that. Um, My priorities changed. I began to research and study what had happened to me. I began to study Eastern, Western mysticism, meditate. Uh, I lost all my friends. They thought I. Sure, I'd,
0: sign something really fabulous is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Everything, you know, they thought I'd freaked out, you know. Just, Michael's freaked out, you know, he's really thinking there's another reality, you know. And, uh, and that was the beginning, as an adult, that was the beginning of this pursuit of um, unitive awareness, this pursuit of um, the realization of the oneness with, with the presence.
0: That's interesting. I've, I've never heard any before, anybody before describe their spiritual awakening as something that occurred in a dream state?
1: Yeah. It was a lot of phenomena in my waking state, but the actual severing of who I used to be was, was, was a lucid dream. I mean, I'm, I, when I, as I think about that dream, I mean, I'm, I was conscious in the dream. I mean, I'm making decisions, I'm looking behind me, screaming for help, I could make myself wake up. Mm-hmm. But at this time, uh, I couldn't.
0: So, you know, that term spiritual awakening, it's a word that people throw around a lot and mean different things by. What, what do you think it actually means for you to say that you had a spiritual awakening?
1: For me, it meant that my priorities shifted and I became more interested in spiritual values. Um, my, my reason for being on the planet shifted, uh, whereas before I was going to college, you know, I was going to go to med school, I was, um, which is not something that's terrible, something that's bad. Um, but my whole purpose shifted to uh, wanting to have a stronger realization of who I am. I wanted to self-actualize. I wanted to wake up more. That was my, my primary mode of being in the world. And it hasn't shifted. Uh, it's still the same priority, that in being of service. So I, I would say that I awoke to a dimension of my real nature. That I was um, ignorant of up to that moment.
0: What What would you say changed in terms of your sense of identity?
1: I think that that is that's what majorly happened. Um, I saw myself after that as um, a dimension of this presence that's everywhere, and whereas before. I, like everyone else, probably had more of a tendency to think about myself as the child of my parents, you know, a grandson, a a son, a husband, um, something that had something to do with the phenomenal world, whereas after that it was, no, I'm more than that, which I remember when I was 11 years old, there was a moment I had a, a, a big aha, I had a big opening when I was 11. I remember it was my 11th, around my 11th birthday. I was in Washington, D.C., where my family is from. And I was walking down uh, an aisle in the supermarket to get something for my grandmother, and I suddenly became aware that a bottle of baby food was going to fall down in the aisle next to me. I could see it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I ran around and I caught it before it hit the ground, and the person that was stocking it said, well, how did you know that was going to fall? And I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. I just, I, I just I didn't know. I couldn't explain it. So on my way home... I'm in this big state that I can talk about now. I didn't know what it was then. My grandmother, my uncle, and my mother were on the front stoop. And as they were looking at me, I said to myself, my mother's looking at her son, my grandmother's looking at her grandson, and my uncle's looking at a nephew. But I'm not that. I'm something else. And I had to make a choice as I got closer to them whether I was going to be me or whether I was going to be what they thought I was. And At 11 years old, I chose to be what they thought I was. I mm-hmm. couldn't, I didn't have the strength yeah. to be more than that. So I chose yeah. to be the son, the nephew, and the grandson. But I always remembered that, that experience that I had. So fast forward to the 20s, when this thing happened and I was killed, I never, I couldn't get back in that box. Mm-hmm. Something had shattered that left me out there. And now I had to discover what this was. Who am I, really? That's not mm-hmm. merely uh, a dimension of my ancestral lineage.
0: Now, you mentioned that there was some inner momentum and call to be a reverend, and that you had to follow it, and if you had this crook in your neck, that straightened out when you finally listened to the impulse coming from inside you. And I'm curious if there are times in your life when you haven't, have not listened to that impulse, and what's been the result?
1: Well, that was one of the times I didn't yeah. listen for a long time, Yeah. and um, it was just a, a nagging uh, for me. Um there, there have been times in uh, working at Agape, developing Agape, where I knew a particular way to go, but I didn't have the buy-in, necessarily, the people around me. Yeah. And before, I would probably just say, we're going to do it anyway. And I would say, okay, we're not going to do it this way. Let's, let's do it the way you guys want to do it. And it would end up not working. Yeah. You know, but I would just let that happen, knowing that it wasn't going to work, and then come back to another way that I was seeing originally.
0: So how do you know when that voice inside, that impulse, is aligned with your greater good and when it's just, you know, some kind of voice that's yakking at you that, you know, could be the voice of all kinds of motivations and self-serving ideas,
1: etc.? How can you discern that? Generally, the voice of the ego is generally louder and it generally has something to do with my convenience or comfort, something about, that I'm going to benefit from. And the other voice, it, it seems softer, and it's more about service, and it's, and it's not about my convenience or comfort at all. It's more about, um, I'm going to become more myself. It's maybe uncomfortable. It's going to be a greater degree of service involved. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of difference there, but it's, 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 it's not yelling at me. It's, a real, it's soft. It's a soft this is the path. Walk in it, you know, and and and. But that comes after after years of 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 meditation and, and lowly listening, mm-hmm. you know. And I still work with it, and still have to discern whether this is the way to go or this is the way to go. But I also there's something happens in my stomach too. Uh-huh. There's a, a visceral something happens in my solar plexus uh-huh. that um, gets real calm, if you know. If I'm going in the right direction, and if I'm not, just like a flutter,
0: uh-huh.
1: it's like, oh, oh, this is not the right way to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know,
0: what would you say were some of the most challenging directives you received that you had to trust? That were just like, oh my God, you want me to do
1: this? Well, I would say just in the beginning to start the Agape International Spiritual Center, um, I got that directive. And I, I even got that, in, again, in a lucid dream state, too. I got it more than one time. And one time, in a lucid dream state, I, w- I was walking down the street, and I was taken to this building, and there was a tremendous amount of energy and love and fellowship and community going on. And it was just it looked very beautiful. It was diverse. And the voice said, this is, this is uh, what we want you to do. And I said I can't do this and in the dream I was real small and this vision was really big and I said I can't do this I don't know how to do this and it said something like you say yes and we'll do the rest it was like that but I delayed it for a while I, I didn't I didn't I, w- I didn't want to be a public figure It wasn't my personality construct I was more behind the scene kind of person I used to work for a city councilman, and I could write the speeches, and I could be behind and work on the programs and develop programs, but I didn't need to be the person out at front. So here, I'm being invited to be out front. And it was daunting, and I, and I, I said yes. You know, I left the position I had at that time, which provided finances for me and my family, stepped out on nothing, and um, it was very, very challenging.
0: hmm so you take your dreams really seriously.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're really more than dreams. You know, there's a difference. It's like when I'm dreaming, but these lucid dreams are like I'm awake and I'm getting instruction or um, some knowledge or I'm having a direct experience. It's, right. yeah, it's,
0: That's it's, a really interesting idea that you're getting instruction. Who, who could be giving you instruction or what? What's, yeah. Where's the instruction coming from?
1: It, it, I just call it divine mind. I call it love intelligence. Um, It's more of a a presence. It's more of a presence. And I know that it knows.
0: Now let's say somebody's watching this and they think, you know, I want that kind of confidence. I don't really know when I'm dreaming and it's just, you know, something I'm afraid of, something I want to have happen. I don't really know. I I can't discern that. What would you say to them? How can you help
1: them? Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't put them on the path of trying to do lucid dreaming. Yeah. That's not really my expertise, yeah. even though I do it. Yeah, I don't teach that. Yeah, um, I would more put them on the path of developing a spiritual practice, becoming interested in participating in their own evolution. And whether you have lucid dreaming or whether... Instruction comes the way it comes for me. That's not really important. What's important is everyone. Everyone is a candidate for insight and revelation. Everyone is a candidate to receive instruction and knowledge, however it comes for them. I think it's speaking to everyone in a language and in a way that they can understand. So I would put them more on the path of self-discovery through affirmative prayer, and meditation, visioning, this type of thing, and, and teach them to be receptive to that knowledge as it comes to them and and, and so that they can learn how to discern that.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned affirmative prayer. Can can you give me an example of what it's like to pray in an affirmative way?
1: Affirmative prayer is basically acknowledging that what you're praying for and about, it's already occurring. You're affirming that it's already happening. Um, I teach that... Whatever it is that we want, hope, for, and desire, it's already within us. So an affirmative prayer is basically lifting your vibration to accepting and feeling that it's already occurring at some level, and then being receptive to it moving through you. I define prayer as embracing reality without trying to get anything from it. So affirmative prayer is a way by which you come in tune with what is and become receptive to the what is expressing through you, as opposed to someone on their knees pleading to give me something,
0: right? Here's here's an example of probably a distortion of what you're talking about, but that bothers me. And this would be the kind of distortion. Uh, I have more money than I need right now, and the person knows that they're deeply in debt, but they're saying this affirmative prayer. You know, I have I, I'm I have more money than I need right now, and you're yeah. thinking you know, that person's you know they're not whatever they're a liar yeah. they're not you know.
1: Well, first of all, that's not a prayer. Okay, that's a, that's an affirmation. Okay and uh they're using that affirmation for something material yeah you know money yeah and so i wouldn't i wouldn't even teach that you know um uh, i i have a tendency to say that people have a tendency to concretize the ineffable and the intangible substance so if i say to somebody infinite supply they'll think money yeah but um i would i would say that I would switch that affirmation around. I would say, I'm, I'm in tune with Infinite Supply and all my needs are met. And begin to feel that. And then what happens is an individual will be guided and directed to do what is necessary to allow that to happen in their life. It's not going to drop off the sky necessarily. But if you begin to have a feeling tone that you live in a friendly universe, that Infinite Supply is all around you, that divine opportunities are all around you, and you start to feel that, you act differently in the world. You, bring a, you see opportunities that you couldn't normally see. You start to, um, your steps are ordered by this new law of your being that you're now affirming. So like an affirmation brings you into a state of prayer where you're communing with existence itself, with, with the supply or the love or the peace or whatever seems to be lacking.
0: But what if you say a sentence like that, I'm in tune with infinite supply, and then you immediately hear in your head, no, I'm not. I have $20,000 of credit card debt that I have no way to pay.
1: Well, generally, that's a, that's a wonderful exercise. Yeah. As a person begins to do that kind of affirmation,
0: yeah.
1: immediately there's going to be the voice of the ego or the voice of uh, dissent saying, no, you don't. Yeah. You're poor, you're ugly, you don't have enough this. Yeah. And, and, and as you keep doing that affirmation, you can become aware of your unconscious beliefs that's inhibiting your flow and so when that happens that's a very good thing because you can actually see what you really believe about yourself yeah and now once you understand what you really believe about yourself you can challenge it and you can begin to uncover those beliefs and and begin to change them so that's a good process to write down an affirmation and then see what you really believe about it in order to keep going deeper and, and under layer under layer under layer until you uncover and begin to uh, transmute those particular beliefs through spiritual technology.
0: So let's just take the example, you know, I'm in tune with infinite supply and then the thought comes up, no I'm not, I have twenty thousand dollars of credit card debt and I can't pay it off. Right. Then what do I do?
1: Now if a person keeps doing that affirmation, they're not going to just be stuck with that sentence.
0: Right. Where does it go from there though? Underneath
1: there's going to be other things that begin to surface. Perhaps self-worth issues start to arrive, start to come forward. Perhaps abandonment issues start to come forward. Um, you're going to start to uncover perhaps unforgiveness issues mm-hmm. because debt is oftentimes a function of unforgiveness. You'll start to get to what's really the issue. It's not, it's not $20,000 in debt because you had to have a state of consciousness to produce that debt. Now, what is that state of consciousness? What is that belief? What is that that you're really holding on to not you, but, yeah, you know, this, the this, you this, that's listening. This is an example. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and now when you begin to discover that, and you put, shine the light on that, now you can change it. Now you can begin to, you can create another affirmation. You can ask some empowering questions around that. There's, there's many spiritual technologies that you can begin to use to transmute that energy. Mm-hmm. You see? You can begin to ask a question, what is, what is the, depending on what the issue is that it surfaces for somebody, if it's, um, lack of self-love, you can begin to ask questions, you know, what does self-love look like? What does it feel like? If it's, um, if it's about money or supply, you know, what is, the, what, is the, what is the nature of supply? What is the real nature of supply? Now, the universe will answer that question. Generally, what people do is they ask a disempowering question. They'll say, why does this always happen to me? Mm-hmm. The universe will answer that. It'll start giving you all kinds of reasons. But when you ask what is the nature of supply? What is the nature of supply and how can it express in my life? The universe will answer that question as well. It will begin to speak of um, this invisible supply that's everywhere that can be transmuted into ideal employment. It can be transmuted into um, talents and gifts that need to be activated and expressed. Um, A person can begin to empower themselves through asking the right kind of questions. I mean, that's just one technology that, that you can use once you uncover what you believe about yourself or about God or about the universe.
0: So what are the guidelines for asking the right kinds of questions?
1: Um, If it's, you want to ask about the nature of reality. You want to ask how you can grow, how you can expand your awareness. But you don't want to ask questions like, why me? Why is this happening to me again? You don't want to ask who's to blame. Mm -hmm. Who's to blame for this? You don't want your mind to go on a scrutinizing, fault-finding expedition. You want your mind to become an avenue of awareness of that which is true, that which is eternal. So you have to ask a question that leads you there rather than lead you down the path of just more human experience and the human condition, which is a mockery of the divine creation.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a different example. Let's say somebody has had a hard time finding the kind of life partner, love partner that they want. And they just think, you know, everybody else has the opportunity to find the love of their life but me. There must be something wrong with me. Right. And here I am, I'm doing some kind of affirmative prayer. I'm right now at this moment magnetizing the love of my life, right. you know, walking in the door. Right. And then the voice comes in, come on.
1: You know? Who do you think you are?
0: Yeah, look how old you are. You haven't found it <laughs> yet, it's not going to
1: happen. Right. Get, get real. Right.
0: What am I going to do about that?
1: Well... Uh, first of all, instead of just concretizing love and saying about the no, love No, I partner, want it to be a person. I, this oh, I, is con- I,
0: I don't want it to be the experience of the present moment. I want it to be a real... You I, know, I
1: understand that. But you have, to you, you have to start yeah. somewhere. Okay. And so... Uh, and, and, of course, everyone... There's no cookie-cutter situation here. Okay? There's some people that don't love themselves. There's individuals who can't share mm-hmm. love. There's individuals... Um, who believe that there's not enough good people around. I mean, there's all kinds of, so there's no cookie cutter situation here that we can just say, okay, this works for this, even though there are books that would say that. I don't believe that. I believe that you deal with an individual. There are principles that work for everyone, but everyone is different. Okay. So if a person is looking for a divine mate, uh, they're looking for a companion. They're looking for um, a, way, a, a way to express more love. I mean, we have to ask... What what is the nature of relationships? What is its purpose? And the purpose of relationship is to uh, perfect our loving and to be a place where we get to express love. So there are many people who don't have that. They're not even looking for that. They're looking for a body, as you say, that um, maybe that makes them happy, something to this effect. Well, that's not what a relationship is for. A relationship isn't to make you happy relationship is a, a joint participation in the good of love and the good of god and the good of beauty. So first one has to first of all understand what the relationship is for. What what is it? What is the life partner about? It's about growing and unfolding together in love.
0: No no, it's about not feeling so lonely. I mean, what if that's the truth of why I want a life partner? I want someone to, you know.
1: Then you're still going to be lonely with the person. Because the person is not going to uh, end your loneliness. Loneliness is inside. There are people that are with a lot of people that are still lonely, and there are people that are by themselves that aren't lonely. You know, there are people who can be by themselves, be alone, and not be lonely, and there are people that can be with someone and still be lonely. So that's an inside job. So if a person thinks that a relationship is going to heal that, then there's going to be a problem, because when they get in that relationship, they're going to be glomming onto the person, they're going to be clinging, they're going to be demanding that, that person make them happy. Where are you going? You didn't get back here on time. I miss you it's gonna create a whole lot of other issues. And so the idea is you wanna clean those issues up
0: mm-hmm.
1: before you bring the partner in, or you wanna realize that in the course of partnership, you're gonna be working on those issues, mm-hmm. you see? Because mm-hmm. the, the person is not gonna heal those issues. Mm-hmm. Those are, that's internal.
0: Mm-hmm. So whatever the, the challenges that I'm facing, whether it's a financial challenge or wanting a love relationship, what are the, the principles that help me get down to the root issues that are really at work? What, what are they?
1: Well, the first, the first principle is oneness. That is, you are connected to this presence and that you already have everything that you need and that through your spiritual work and introspection and contemplating and asking the right questions, uh, you begin to discover that it's already within you.
0: Okay, so let's just pause for a second. What if my experience is that I don't have everything I need?
1: Well, fortunately, your experience is just experience. <laughs> it's not real.
0: Okay. It feels pretty real. Yeah, I know.
1: I'm kind of I'm halfway it's okay, joking. okay, but I mean, halfway somebody may say, yet. you know,
0: you, I, I hear that, that that's the starting principle, but that's not what, it feel, well, not what the world feels like to me. I don't yeah. feel like
1: that. Now, now, here's the, the beautiful thing. Yeah. Where we are at this stage of evolution, we can think independent of our experience and of our circumstance. That's what, spirit, that's what practicing spiritual principle is all about, that you may have an experience of lack, you may have an experience of loneliness, ill health, whatever the case may be, but we have this thing called our consciousness that allows us to think independent of that experience. Hmm. That means I can enter into a creative, a co-creative partnership with this presence and begin to um, change my perspective, my point of view. Uh, I can even change my feeling in nature and begin to tap into the, the love, tap into the peace, even though it's not present in my experience. I can use um, my imagination. I can use things in my life that are already working and begin to feel what that feels like and begin to train myself to live in that vibration until that becomes um, maybe not my predominant vibration, but I'm hanging out there more and more and more. And then what happens? The universe responds to that. There's a demonstration. There's a, a quickening. There's a... Uh, Something changes in my life. It's never going to change if I'm down here in the vibration of woe pours me I've always had a bad experience. It's never going to work out for me. I don't know who I am You become a self-fulfilling prophecy of that Mm -hmm. So with spiritual practice, you can begin to think differently You can even become a candidate for insight and and, and revelation about who you are and watch your life change Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's not easy but it's, it's a simple practice. It's just not an easy thing to do because the emotions are so um, gross and they're constantly giving, even though the, our emotional life is a feedback from the past, they are a, um, a subset of our previously held perceptions that have may have come from experience. They, they're so gross that we think that's who we are. But our emotional body is not who we are. It's a subset of our previously held perceptions. So now I can take my attention and I can begin to shift my perception. Now how do I do that? I do it through what I study. I do it through um, uh, the people I'm associating with. I do it through my spiritual practice that we've, we've mentioned here a few times until there's a shift that occurs. I begin to have aha moments about the real nature of reality and the nature of who I am that's independent of my experience. So... Now my life begins to change, slowly at first perhaps, but every little shift gives me a little bit more more trust
0: mm-hmm.
1: that something is occurring.
0: Okay, but now here's a potential pitfall, and I'm curious what you think about this. And you have potentially people who are like, you know, I feel great today. I'm connected to everything. I feel, I'm grateful for everything. And you can see that the person's giving you a bunch of baloney. Right. They actually feel terrible, but they don't want, they don't want that pretense. experience anymore. Right, it's pretense. Yeah. So that's often what I see happen when people first get exposed to what you're describing, is they, they don't want to be stuck where they used to be, so they pretend right. this other thing, but it's not actually what they're really feeling. Right.
1: Well, they're pretending something. Yeah. You know, the, and, and the idea is to have an intention rather than a pretension. And so um, eventually those people burn out they either, they either fall by the wayside and say this stuff doesn't work or they go in a little deeper and they start to really establish intention, but it's not an intention to have things of the world. Their intention shifts to really changing themselves, to really discovering what blockage is in them, not from a blame game, but just what is it that's within me that's preventing me from happiness, from joy, from creativity, whatever the case may be. So the thing about it is, this kind of work, you know, is is not is not for the faint of heart, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to really change. You have to really be willing to change. So, oftentimes people come in in a mad rush. They read all these how-to books and how to have it all and this type of thing, and then find out later they got to do some real serious work. Mm-hmm. They got to really do some really introspection. They got to really be honest with themselves. They got to really look at themselves in the mirror and see where they're lying to themselves. See what they believe about themselves. And Oftentimes people fall off the path then because that's too difficult. They want a quick fix Mm -hmm. They want some to give them some fancy words that they can just poof suddenly it's happening So a lot of people fall by the wayside but a lot of people keep going and They realize that there are real principles. There are real ways. There are real practices that if you engage them It will change your habits and those habits will become a change of lifestyle the lifestyle will become a way of life And you start to bear fruit with that with that way of life so it's not a, it's not a get rich quick or a get mate quick or get anything quick mm-hmm. it's really it's really a precursor to a way of living one's life and oftentimes people don't want to change their life they want to get something while they remain the same yeah they want to change the world while they remain the same and that's not gonna happen yeah that's fantasy
0: yeah well now we started I asked you what the principles were for dealing with whatever challenge you have in your life and you, you started by saying the first one was this yeah, it, recognition of oneness. Yeah, but, con- I, I interrupted you and we went all over, so I want to know what the other principles well, are. Well, we didn't go all over. That's all
1: right. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, there's, there's um, what is called the law of mind in action, which is an awareness that your thoughts are units of mental energy that have the tendency to transmute themselves into speech, behavior, action, perception, that becomes more experience. So so that's a, that's a mental law or, 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 that the thoughts that you are um, continuing, continuing to have ultimately become a dimension of your experience, whether it's of the body temple, to the degree of health you may or may not be having, uh, how you see the world, and your experience in the world. So, um, and that's, that's, a, that's a pretty common. Uh, people understand that, and particularly now with um, the advent of our science where we can actually measure patterns of thought and you can actually see a person in an alpha state or a theta or a delta or a beta state and notice that people that are in higher states are much more creative and much more um, peaceful, um, much more prone to success if they're able to maintain that. Um,
0: now, so, now, what are you saying? You're saying that we should monitor our thoughts, think certain kinds of thoughts? What, what exactly are you saying? Well,
1: I, I, I don't teach control your thoughts, but I do teach being mindful. Of what's flowing through your awareness. And established a level of, of intention. As, as to. Um, I call it having thought for food. Instead of food for thought. Okay. You have thought for food. Which means that you uh, surround yourself. With individuals living or dead. Um, that. Fill you. With the good. The true and the beautiful. And that's what you're placing your attention on. Until. Uh, it begins to be more real to you than your temporary experience.
0: Okay, once again, what what if you have a tendency to have some kind of repetitive thought pattern that's not all that uplifting?
1: Well, you can have a level of mindfulness in in which you are aware of it, and as you're aware of it, you're realizing it's not you. It's a habit that's going on independent of you. So once once that is occurring, you can interrupt it, and you can place it to the side, you can bracket it, as, you know to use a Buddhist term you know you can bracket it and put it to the side you can challenge it um, you can begin to place your attention somewhere else but you can get to the point where it's not running you mm-hmm. and you can begin to also be aware that there's some things in your life that are working you can go on an appreciative inquiry as to what's working in your life and begin to feel that and in um, the African shamanistic tradition a dimension of their healing is actually if something is wrong in an area of your life, you place your attention on what's working and then bring that energy into the other area of your life. I call it spiritual shape-shifting, mm-hmm. you know, where you can actually bring the energy. Let's say you, you have lack of finance and it yeah. really te- takes you down. But you're very healthy yeah, and you feel good about you. When you think about your health, it's exuberance. So you take that exuberance, that f- uh, confidence in that area of your life, and you begin to bring into your mind the area of your finances. And you begin to take this energy but place it over here whenever you think of your finances. So you do an energetic shape shift. And as you're able to hold that space, then you're gonna stumble, you're gonna fall, the repetitive patterns are gonna come up. But as you're able to more and more hold that space, then this becomes your, your, your habit pattern. You begin to discover that you're thinking differently about finances and about supply. Your actions begin to be different, opportunities begin to open up, things begin to change in that area through the understanding of thought Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and what real thinking is. What most people call thinking is just a regurgitation of thoughts that they've had the day before, the day before, the day before. It's a rehashing of the same thought forms. Now that's not thinking. That's called mentation. It's not thinking. Real thinking is inspiration. Real well, thinking is going into that realm where original thoughts from the divine mind or the universal love intelligence begin to think through you. That's thinking. Everything else is mentation. And the average person is just living in a thought cocoon of something they have thought before. They're living in a reality of that thought cocoon. There's an agreement in our collective society about whatever that thing is. And evolution is very slow. Basically comes through crisis. You know, something that breaks us out of that that particular thought cocoon. But an individual that's engaging in a spiritual practice is consciously participating in their own evolution through gaining, con- gaining dominion over their attention and placing it where they want to.
0: Uh huh. Now you mentioned this process uh, that you're calling spiritual evolution isn't easy, not for the faint of heart. So,
1: so what's so hard about it? What's so hard about it is you're, you're, you're fighting against comfort and convenience. That uh, a part of you is, is uh, for lack of a better term, would you say the ego, once is looking for your, is working on behalf of your survival. So it's not really interested in your evolution. Mm-hmm. It's interested in you surviving at all costs. Mm-hmm. And so when you begin to participate in the conscious evolution of your own soul, um, there's some sabotage there, there's some thwarting of that that, that occurs on a, on a largely unconscious level. Um, also you have to go against the prevailing societal um, beliefs I mean our society itself bombards us with um, the thought forms of functioning comfortably with convenience you don't look turn on your television and and see an advertisement about unfold your soul you know it says become all you can be by joining the army or something silly like that Um, so you're going against that but you're going with an impulse that's infinite, that's seeking to become conscious of itself by means of you. So ultimately, it's the only game in town.
0: Right, well, I want to evolve, but I don't want to give up my survival
1: needs. No, no, you don't, you don't give up your survival needs. You know, that's there, that becomes um, second nature almost. Uh-huh. You're not going to do anything that's going to uh, make you unsafe. Uh, you're not going to go out eat poison you're not going to go out and stand in front of a car to prove you're immortal you're not going to do anything silly that's already there within you you've got that when you got your human being training Mm -hmm. you know when you got here and your parents said don't eat this don't put your hand in that you've got that but if it continues to run the show then you end up just being in the status quo Mm -hmm. if it continues to run the show you don't work for transformation. You work for comfort and convenience within the status quoism of your society. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand, yeah, we're going to survive. And then on a, and from a larger context, you know, you're not going to die anyway. I mean, you, you, you realize that at, at another level, at a, at a meta level, you realize that uh, you've never been born, you're never going to die, you're never going to lose anything significant. Most people don't really know that. You know, so the ego can really uh, control because people are afraid of death and they're afraid of loss.
0: Well, yeah. Well, okay, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. You're hmm. never going to die anyway. You were never really born. I mean, you're, you're sitting here, it looks to me like someone was born who's now, you know, X numbers of years old and all the rest, yeah?
1: It, it's just uh, one part of our, our experience. But the part that's um, our essential nature, you know, when we, we're talking about spiritual awakening, we're talking about understanding who we are as a spiritual being, and when we use the word spiritual, a, that is, spiritual is synonymous with eternal. Spiritual is anonymous with that which has never been born and never will die. Uh, it's like a spiritual value uh, is something that is always peace, love, joy, wisdom, harmony. These are spiritual values. So we are spiritual beings that have a human incarnation. So with every insight through prayer, through meditation, whatever the spiritual technology is, we get a greater awareness of our eternal nature. And it alleviates a little, a little of that fear, that worry about the future, about what's going to happen to us. So all of that energy that's siphoned into the fear of death is now used for creativity. It's now used for soul expression. It's now used for unpacking the gifts and talents we have within us and express them. So while we, whatever time we have on the planet is not just sitting around being afraid we're going to die. But the time we have on the planet is absolutely being used to express the, the gifts we, within us and to serve the emerging paradigm on the planet. It's a whole different reason for being on the planet. When you're um, walking asleep, dreaming that you're awake, you just don't want to die. When you start to wake up, you realize you've been dead <laughs> all this time, and now you're starting to live. You can express yourself.
0: So you don't have any worry about your physical self dying?
1: Well, I don't put myself in harm's way. Yeah. So I'm not walking around worried about that. Yeah. You know, I, I take care of myself. I eat what I think is proper. Sure. I Don't walk in front of traffic and sure. jump out of planes. So I'm, I don't have that worry, no.
0: What about the part of your life that won't exist when you're dead? Your relationship with your, with your wife, with the members of your church, all of that?
1: Well, I, I think they do exist. You know, uh, at some point, they won't have a body either. And uh, if we're vibrating on that same vibe, we'll see each other again. You know, I, I, there's a friend of mine, Carl Anderson, great singer. And uh, he passed a couple years ago. He lived with us before he passed. So I still see him now. You know, Carl will come visit and we'll hang out and talk. And I know it's not my imagination.
0: Okay, and, so let's just slow down here. What do you see? Uh,
1: do you see again, as it's, in the, it's, in the, it's in the lucid dream state. Okay. And... Um, He's a lot younger than he was when he was here, and um, we hang out and talk. He tells me what's going on, and I wake up. You know, I recently had this with another friend of mine who passed. Um, I won't go into the whole experience, but it was a lady named Carol, and I was wondering about her because I hadn't heard from her in a long time since she passed. I hadn't. Sometimes I'd get some kind of connection, and as, a couple of days after I had that thought, I, I, I connected with her. And I asked her some questions about some people and it got the answers I needed and, and I woke up. So when, when we talk about not being um, in communication with that part of the, our relationship, that, go, that, that goes on. Again, that's not my specialty. Mm-hmm. I don't teach any of that, but I have my own experience of that.
0: Well, what's more interesting to me is to understand what you know about yourself that's eternal. I mean, most people's experience is that they're born and that they're going to die, right. and that the people that they love are going to die or have died, and that when those people have died, that they're gone, like, gone, gone, you know.
1: Forever. End. Yeah. Over End of and story, out. Dust yeah. to dust. Right. Yeah, and that, that's so untrue. I think what happens is they get a pleasant surprise. They say, whoa, I did all that worrying about death, and here I am. I still exist. I'm a dimension of existence. I'm an individualized expression of existence. I did all that worrying about death and I could have been doing something else. You know? I, I believe that's the individual's experience when that happens.
0: But it's not like the, the individual isn't even an individual anymore. So, I mean, the individual's experience, I mean, what's experiencing that relief at the moment of death? Consciousness.
1: They were in a thought cocoon that they were their body and that they were temporary. And then as they wake up, they realize, oh my God, I, my body was my vehicle. It wasn't who I was. It's like my car. My car got smashed and it's gone, but it wasn't who I am. My car got smashed or my body is no, long, no longer working for me. Whew, I still am. It becomes more, more like that. You know, there's uh, oftentimes people talk about the three different kinds of awakening. The kind of awakening you have when you go to bed at night and you wake up the next morning and You realize, oh, I've been dreaming, and now I'm in this dimension. You know, then there's the kind of awakening that happens when you make your transition, what some people call death, and you realize, oh, I'm still alive. And then there's the awakening that happens when you break free from the sense of separation from this presence, and you realize, oh, I'm in one with all. So it's like this different kinds of awakenings. And many people, because of their fear of death are doing every, they think, everything they can to stay safe and stay alive, making all kinds of choices around staying alive. for the, And they never even pursue the other forms of awakening. You know, we can see this in our culture. We have a culture driven by the ego and comfort, and we have um, this whole survival thing uh, that is so prevalent that most of our money goes to building war implements in a, in a country that has more war implements that can destroy the world Ten times over, we keep building more and building more because we're so afraid, even though we pretend. Or the myth is that we're the home of the free and land of the brave and all that, but inside, it's like, scared people, we've got to get another nuclear weapon, we've got to get another missile, we've got we to protect ourselves from these evil people out in the world. You know, it's the ego run amok. It's not just our country. I mean, talking about all countries uh, that are run by the ego, most of their uh, energy... And resources are going to survival rather than to education, rather than art, beauty, unfoldment of the soul. I mean, imagine when, when we transcend or overcome the ego's grasp on us, our resources will be used differently. Not just to protect us. Of course, we'll always have something to def- defend ourselves. I'm not uh, being Pollyannish about that. But more of it will go into healing arts and arts of beauty and love and music and, and the unfolding of who we are is what our potential is. Can you imagine that, that society would... So every time someone has a breakthrough and has an awakening like that, they become a part of that next paradigm, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I've heard you say on the Life Visioning Program that at every step of our evolution, we have to let go of something to go to this next step. And I'm curious if there's more for you to let go of. And if so, what?
1: It, always... Because um, most of spiritual growth development, I would venture to say all of it is about letting go of something, about um, shedding something. And, and then I, I think there's another level where you are learning again, but it's pretty much releasing. Um, I, just, I came through a period not long ago, and I'm just, just coming out of it right now, a very dark period, um, in which... Um, I'm. am just still now getting the inner meanings of it, but there's a tremendous amount of angst and tremendous amount of. Um, I just can't do this anymore. I, I. I just something was dying in me, and um, so I, I. I. I don't have the language yet as to what I let go of, but I did let go of, of more resistance. More resistance to more of my potential expressing. And uh, it wasn't, it didn't feel good. You know, I I talked about it, you know, I I always talk about whatever I'm going through whenever I'm speaking. And um, so, yeah, there's always more.
0: Thank you. Very authentic. Very very real. Very real.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure being here.
0: Yeah, thanks. This program has been brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in depth, and life changing wisdom. Please visit us at SoundsTrue.com and experience our award winning audio programs for yourself. Programs that embrace the world's major spiritual traditions, as well as the arts and humanities, embodied by the leading authors, teachers, and visionary artists of our time. With every title, we strive to preserve the essential living wisdom of the author, artist, or spiritual teacher. Not only will you receive information, but you will receive the essential quality of a wisdom transmission between a teacher and a student. Many Voices, One Journey. Soundstrue.com